the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, everyone. This is Tim Linville again. Hope everybody's having a good day. Today with us on the podcast, joining Glenn Shoemate and myself, is one of our Hall of Fame inductees this year, Al Sanchez. How are you, Al? Good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Al, you are worthy of being a Hall of Fame inductee. I don't know about that. Yeah, what's he <laughs> supposed to say to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations again on, on being inducted. Uh, well-deserved. And uh, along with Gary Knopf and Annie Natale, well-deserved. So congratulations. Thank you. So getting back to uh, starting from the beginning, uh, we, we, we want to hear what led you from not being in construction to construction to where you are today. Where are you from? Um, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, originally. Um, we lived in uh, a tenement house called Pullman Homes, and then my dad bought a, a little two-flat only about four blocks down the street, and we were then committed to doing a lot of renovation and rehab, and that was my first entree into doing anything constructive, to, to, be, to be truthful. Uh, and it kind of caught my fancy. I like the idea of putting stuff together. So was your father a contractor, or was he just fixing up the house? No, he was just fixing up the house, and uh, he was a courageous fixer-upper. He would tackle any kind of a job. Uh, yeah. So Pullman was an area in Chicago. Yes. South side. South side. And uh, what is a tenement house? Uh, these were apartment houses, uh, three levels. Uh, each level, uh, there was a, a flat Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there was maybe four blocks, just solid tenement houses. Mm. And what um, you, bo- you were born there, and yes. when did you move and start getting your hands uh, into the construction work? Well, it wasn't really till uh, after our college. Uh, well, that was actually during the summers. Uh, I always worked a construction job during the summers, which was really good because you couldn't make enough money to pay for your tuition and books and get home and start to cycle all over again. So that, that was my entree. And a couple of those summer jobs, uh, I did work for the company I ended up working for. Is that right? Yeah. So you're a fighting lion eye, as I recall. To the bone. To the bone? Yes. <laughs> and what was your major there, University of Illinois? Uh, I was a mechanical engineer, uh, really sort of zeroed in on HVAC. And how did you go down the path of mechanical engineering? Um, I, I, like I say, I like the idea of putting things together, and that was as mechanical as you, you could get. Um, and I like the idea of watching other things, other disciplines go by, that if something else caught my fancy, I could quickly jump to it without being totally discomforted. It was it was a, a a good way for me to observe what was going on, mm-hmm. and and ironically, the company that I ended up work with, of course, you know, is Turner Construction. Um, I was one of the very first mechanical engineers to be hired by them. Everybody mm-hmm. in that business was pouring concrete, and, okay, and uh, that was the big deal. Uh, so I was sort of an outlander. Hmm. Was this Turner Chicago? Yes. Okay. Any brothers or sisters? I had a, bro- a younger brother, but he passed away at a very young age from Hodgkin's disease. Mm. And did you go to public or parochial? Oh, public schools. Public schools. Public schools. Good. 
Yeah, yeah. I have some experience in Chicago. I went to college at Wheaton College, Illinois, which is not in Chicago, but close to Chicago. Tried to get down um, downtown as much as possible. I know exactly where that's at. My wife taught there when she got out of college. Really? Yeah. Cool. Um, so you summered with Turner during college mm-hmm. at Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, then did you co-op and did you get a job soon after college with them? Oh, exactly. Yeah, they interviewed on the campus and uh, I was lucky enough to be chosen. And uh, that's how it all started for me. Great. So how long with Turner and how many different cities, locations, where have you worked? Well, again, that's a bit unique. Uh, First of all, uh, it was about 38 years with Turner. Uh, And I didn't move that much. Uh, Started in Chicago, did a couple of jobs there, did a job in Milwaukee, came back to Chicago, and then to Cleveland and never moved again. And if that wasn't lucky enough, I married a gal that was a, a local Clevelander. Sure which was very helpful in trying to figure out what was going on politically. Hmm. And so how did you, as a mechanical engineer graduate, how did you assimilate into Turner? How did you find that? Um, like I say, first of all, I was kind of an outlander. And if you weren't involved in pouring concrete, you weren't uh, one of the he-men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a bit trying at first because uh, when I, my first assignment in the job I was told, look, anything that moves is my responsibility. And I had to get it installed so that everybody else could do everything else that followed the mechanical, electrical, the plumbing. There wasn't much technology then, but uh, there were a lot of pieces and parts. Even the uh, automatic doors was my responsibility to get it in. And, of course, I was never on time to work with my colleagues when they wanted to do their work. So that was always uh, (laughs) a testy moment. (laughs) Did you find it uh, um, uh, challenging as, you know, coming from a different area of study or uh, you're Hispanic? Did you find that a challenge? Any of those two things represent a challenge or was it fairly seamless? Uh, for me, it was seamless, but uh, I, I never I never put any stock in being different. I never mm-hmm. felt that uh, I had to prove myself, uh, but I just wanted to be good. I wanted to be good as these other guys I was working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I can't say that I ever experienced a whole lot of pushback. Uh, and I don't know if it's because I refused to recognize it or it just didn't exist. Yeah, good. Good. And who, was, uh, who did you sort of work under? Who, did you have any mentors that were important in your career? Yeah, I had um, maybe three superintendents, uh, three project managers that were particularly uh, helpful to me. They really took me under their wing, and a mentor is the right word. Uh, They they were very helpful. Yeah. It it really made me, quite an impression on me, sort of an obligation I had thereafter. And what would you, how would you state that obligation? Well, uh, it's like giving back. Uh, Here's a whole lot of nice people that have gone out of their way to uh, make my life comfortable and uh, learn what I had to learn in an expeditious way, um, I felt that uh, that was a, that's not ordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, uh, structures business pretty rough and tough. Uh, you got to be pretty thick-skinned. Uh, and I think I, I feel that requisite. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts or comments uh, in that regard regarding kind of cultivating mentorship? 
how can or what would you suggest to a young person in terms of the opportunity to seek mentorship or to identify their responsibility associated with being a mentee? Well, first of all, I I really don't believe there's a, a construction job that people work singularly. So you're always working in a team. Mm-hmm. So my advice is to be a good team member. Uh, you'll find people will volunteer their their knowledge to you and help you along when they see that you're having a bit of a trouble. Um, but be a good team member. Do your work, help the others, and be congenial. That's very important. It, construction's a team sport. Mm-hmm. So for, again, I following up on the young person conversation and question, how might a young person or what words might you suggest a young person seeking uh, entry into construction or engineering? How can they understand and establish uh, a solid career path or direction? Uh, well, first of all, you got to be a, a people person. Like I said, you're, you're, it's a social endeavor, period. Um, but develop good reading capabilities. I think reading is such a portal in construction that you just have to read everything. Uh, and as you know, I teach classes from time to time, and I'm baffled by how so many project managers abhor reading all the documents and really looking at all the plans and specs, and I say, yeah, these are contract documents. You have to know what's within those sheets of paper that make you do what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but they're, they're, it's an uphill battle, but if sometimes we're lucky and we convince them that that's the thing to do. But you got to read everything. It's very important. So I think there's a alism that goes something about know what's on the paper. Oh, yeah. I used to teach a class... <laughs> Uh, as you know, I, I got a law degree along the line. Um, and uh, when I'm teaching, I don't try to teach them law. I'm just not going to do that. But put them on notice to look, these are certain situations where the law comes into play and you have to know how to react to this. Um, but unless you read your paper, you're not going to be able to be successful. And I used to put up on a board in English, what does your paper say? And then I put it in Spanish. What does your paper say? And then I had a guy show me how to do it in Chinese, and I'm <laughs> Chinese. And ironically, I'm walking down the streets a lot of times on Cleveland, Euclid Avenue, and somebody stops me and say, just says to me, I just want you to know I know what my paper says. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you teach those classes? Uh, we established what we call the W.O. Walker um, series of seminars, and each department would take a piece of construction and try to download to them, uh, mostly, in fact, totally at night, mm-hmm. when you know guys had been working all day, and then they show up at our classes. And uh, like I said, we weren't trying to teach law, but just trying to put them on awareness that, look, there's a certain situation, you're going to have to get a lawyer or two. Uh, m- make sure you read your stuff so you know what you're talking about. And these were classes that Turner put on for, for yes, new yes, contractors, yes, small yes, contractors. Yes. I taught yeah. that legal portion for like 19 years straight. Wow. Uh, and then it got to be so much fun that they started asking me to go to different territories to do my, my thing, uh, which I enjoyed immensely. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So the W.O. Walker School of, or Turner School of Construction Management, I believe it's, it's kind of called today, I think celebrated maybe its 40th year. Uh, this year recently, and I know in Cleveland and I think now in Kent, 
Uh, there are 12 week programs that you describe that are evening courses or programs for uh, individuals who want to learn more about construction. And a lot of the different aspects are covered from estimating to business development to legal and surety and risk. Um, and I know it's a pretty robust curriculum uh, that has been created and implemented. And um, you also, though, Al, beyond that, for CEA, have taught several classes, which we're appreciative of, and continue to develop and espouse uh, knowledge and and impart uh, tidbits um, uh, to CEA members, which we are very appreciative of. And you have taught, I think, a contracts class or legal class for us. You helped um, even early on, 10 years ago, as the Con Contractors Assistance Association had been formulated, you wrote down, I think, the uh, created kind of a curriculum called the Success Series uh, that outlined several courses and what content you felt would be important for both a business or an individual in working in construction to kind of understand and have a, a good uh, uh, background in. And so I think we're very appreciative of that education and, 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 and your contribution to advancing Cleveland. Well, glad to be part of that. I'm particularly glad of being involved in the first W.O. Walker series that we put together. That was, mm. uh, I'm, I didn't realize it's been 40 years. Yes. Which uh, must wow. speak for the course. It works. <laughs> yeah. So what are those elements of, of critical elements to a contractor's ability to succeed? Oh, my goodness. I couldn't come up with 19 uh, <laughs> as we sit here. But again, the, the most basic element was you, you got to get along with people and mm. you've got to understand what your responsibilities are. You can't get to that unless you read the documents that obligate you to what you're supposed to be doing on that site. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of curious how I got involved in studying law when I was still doing the stuff in Chicago as a project engineer. Uh, I always had a lot of questions and I was always asking guys, can the architect make us do that? Uh, are we responsible for do we have, Nobody really seemed to have a clear cut answer. Uh, and I thought, you know, the only logical way to go is get to the basic words and understand, get a briefing in law so you know what you're talking about. And I thought that was going to be the answer, uh, only to find out that it wasn't quite that easy because everybody reads a certain paragraph and he gets a different meaning out of it than right. what you had intended. So, But it did serve me well. There's certainly no doubt about that. So you went to uh, law school in Chicago? No. I, well, actually, I went to law school in Chicago one day, um, and it was uh, a John Marshall school. And that following week, I was shifted to, to uh, Cleveland. So uh, I was here two days when I enrolled here. Okay. So I got my degree here at uh, now Cleveland State, which I ended up with three degrees because at first it was uh, – Cleveland Marshall, and then it was Baldwin Wallace, and then mm -hmm. it was Cleveland State, and they each sent me a certificate. So. <laughs> <laughs> Three for the price of one, hopefully. There you go. <laughs> um, so you rose to the rank of executive vice president of Turner's Central Division. What did that encompass? Well, at that point, we had three divisions, uh, and I was responsible for the Central Division, uh, including Canada and Mexico. And there were 13 uh, offices that we have to manage. Um, and that was, that was what we were doing, uh, period. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun, but it was pretty intense because you, we had a, a, a sort of a understanding that you had better visit these places at least once a month and have a lot of conversation in between, which you did. Um, like I say, I met a lot of great people. Uh, whoever was doing the recruiting for Turner was, did a magnificent job because mm. they had good people. So besides Canada and Mexico, what states were encompassed in your oh, jurisdiction? Illinois, uh, Ohio, um, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Texas, um, mm. going right down to central United States. So they divided the North America into thirds, basically. Exactly, mm. exactly. So what what was some of your what are your some of your favorite memories or accomplishments from your days at Turner? Well, ironically, we did a job for um, Union Carbide, and it was only a, I think a million and a half dollar job, but I was able to create a sense of ownership with the owner by sharing in some savings that we created. And from that, I learned a big lesson that how critically important it is that you stay close to your owner and show them really what what we do, uh, because they really don't have they don't have a clue on what you do, uh, and they just love talking about the project at cocktail parties. <laughs> so I would make a big effort to say, you know, we started in this corner of the building, and you really should know why we started this corner and not the other corner, and. And, you know, it would come back to me that they were bringing this up at these cocktail parties to show how much they knew about construction. But it was a meaningful experience that yeah, you've got to let them know what you're doing. Otherwise, they're going to assume you're not doing a whole lot. Yeah, it makes sense. It served me well because owners talk to owners. Right. Right. So when did you retire from Turner? In 97. 97. And what have you done since? Well, um Actually, I was fortunate once again because uh, I, I was, I've done about seven jobs for the Cleveland Clinic. And when they heard that uh, I was leaving, they asked me to be an owner consultant for them. Uh, and I did. And that was really what launched my career. I said, you know, I kind of like this. This is a nice <laughs> idea. Um, and it really caught on. Uh, that, in fact, that's what I've been doing since 97 to today. Mm-hmm. That's invaluable um, expertise to the owner as well. Uh, I'd like to think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. You've also had involvement with uh, a near West Side school, urban community school. Yes. That I think you've helped facilitate some of their growth and development and building. Yeah, we in fact, we're doing two projects there right now. Um, I was always fascinated by uh, people that do good works for women and children, and particularly in education. Uh, and I've done a lot. And when you think about it, nobody needs more help than nonprofits. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gosh, do they need help. So I've ended up doing a lot of freebie stuff for nonprofits that I've thoroughly enjoyed, uh, Urban being one of them. I've been on their board uh, for, I guess, 15 years as well. So, And they do good work. And, you know, they just figured out how to get Metro on their yes. campus. And they're going to be, instead, we just started digging for an early learning childhood center. Uh, they do good work. So how would you describe Urban Community School to our listeners? Um, first of all, you got to understand a big population there are Hispanics. Uh, so number one, that caught my eye for sure. Uh, but they take kids that are in poverty areas that uh, see more violence in their real lives than, than we ever see on TV. Uh, 
Um, and it, it just caught my eye that, uh, boy, they're doing just good things. These kids really need somebody to help them understand there's another world beyond what they're living in right now. Is it considered a affiliated with the Catholic diocese or? No, it's not. It's totally independent of the diocese. As a matter of fact, um, just recently uh, they ended up uh, doing a, a big change in their, their charter and the diocese had to get disassociated with them because Metro does prov- provide abortions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big choke point for some of our board members. Mm-hmm. But eventually they said they've got to keep doing good in the community and uh, that really won the day. Mm-hmm. And is it K-8? It's K through 8, but now it's going to be early learning childhood uh, well. center. It's really going to be like 18 months to uh, three years. They've got a uh, right now pre kindergarten thing going, but this is this is going to have their, its own building, okay. right next to Metro, which is a very nice feature. And what's the Metro component? Uh, it's going to be a clinic. They're going to be doing what they normally do, but also taking care of our parents and our kids. Very nice. It is very nice indeed. The, I don't know if everybody noticed, but uh, Urban has now become a campus. Yes, they, they've got. 600-odd kids during the day. They're going to have their early learning childhood. They're going to have metro traffic. Uh, it's a campus. For those of uh, our listeners and even myself who I'm not intimately aware of all the plans with Metro Health's um, campus expansion and remodeling job, can you describe what that entails? The Metro Hospital is on the west side of Cleveland, for those who don't know. And um, it's in the middle of a Hispanic neighborhood, as you mentioned. But can you can you describe the transformation that that project in its entirety is going to represent? Well, I think the word transformation is aptly put. Uh, that's what they, what they're doing. Uh, this gentleman, Dr. Boutros, has made it a mandate that uh, they're going to spend something just short of a billion dollars in that community, and he wants the community to reap the benefits of that project. So he's mandated that... Uh, uh, several of us being asked to uh, be certain that we have a strong Hispanic component, um, period. Mm-hmm. And that's what's being done. Um, it also led to a different thing, that uh, there's a Spanish-American committee in town that's sort of been a beacon for any Hispanic that comes from South America, Mexico, or Spain, period. And we hooked up with them to run classes to teach Hispanics that come from foreign jurisdictions that uh, might have been in construction or want to get in construction, and we teach them English as a second language to understand what they're going to be confronted with when uh, when they get involved in the construction here. And so far, we've been able to get about 60, 60 guys in the, into the union as apprenticeships, uh, which we're really happy about. That's a great success story. In just, what, 18 months that you've been? Yes, yes. And and uh, if it, 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 we're just terribly pleased with the progress, and we, we just graduated a class last Friday. Um, but we're going to be doing the same thing with nurses, to mm. teach them that they come up. Because where they practice either nursing or construction is totally different than what we have to contend with in the United States. Mm-hmm. And bringing them along has been very important. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So Spanish American Committee is located 44th? Yes. In Lorraine. Lorraine, yes. And uh, it is a 
can you describe to listeners again, uh, if one wanted to find out about Latino construction program or nursing program or other services? It's a social service agency. They'll take uh, anybody that's got a problem that's Hispanic. In fact, they'll take anybody. It don't have to be Hispanic, but they'll do. Uh, they'll teach them English. They'll get them a GED. They'll help them with mortgages, uh, whatever they have with immigration, getting the driver's license. Just fundamental things when somebody comes in after a hurricane and doesn't know where to go, they go to the Spanish-American Committee and they get them set up in the community. So then another... 20 blocks, or not even 20 blocks. Urban Community School is going to be about 54th? Uh, it's at I'm 40, 48th. 48th, so it's, it's very close. Six yes. blocks, eight blocks yeah. up the street. Same side of the street, which I guess would be the south side mm-hmm. of Lorraine Avenue. Yes. Um, and then if we go another 50 blocks, I guess we're at Metro Health. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's going to be quite a project. It will. How, how many hundreds of millions of dollars is that? I'm just short of a billion. Wow. And that that's just their first three phases. Uh, who knows what comes after that? Mm-hmm. They're, re- they're putting a lot into the community, which is really, really unique. Yeah, for a, uh, for a community hospital like they are, is it? I've only met Mr. Boutros two or three times because when we were talking about laying out the plan for their uh, clinic on the urban campus, uh, we were talking about waiting space. Uh, and waiting rooms, and he popped in. and He says we should have no waiting rooms. <laughs> People should be able to get their get their treatment and get out as soon as possible. When you start making big waiting rooms, you're defeating your purpose. And I thought that was just about the most creative thing I have ever heard in my life. Mm. Uh, who talks like that? Yeah. But this guy's a leader. That's There's awesome. Just no doubt about it. Yeah. Can you can you describe to me and let me know if you just don't have the data, but the Hispanic population on the west side of Cleveland, how large is it? The communities, the countries that they come from, how do you describe that? Well, most of them in this community are Puerto Rican, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of South Americans. Um, if you ever look at a directory in a medical, any hospital, there's a host of Hispanic names of people that are involved. Um, I think... Cleveland has got the largest Puerto Rican population outside of New York, the second largest population. Hmm. Um, in the United States, the over uh, the larger segment of the Hispanic population is Mexican. Mm-hmm. But in Cleveland, it's clearly Puerto Rican. Do you have any idea why we have so many Puerto Rican families here? Uh, I think uh, it goes to where they go to first and then everybody starts just going there. They had a success coming to Cleveland and why change that formula? They like it. It yeah. works for them. Right. And where were the where were the jobs that, that they would come to in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, unfortunately, they end up in uh, McDonald's or uh, Wendy's uh, doing really menial jobs for menial wages. Uh, but they'll, as you know, they're hardworking. They'll do anything for a job, mm-hmm. um, which really I think differentiates them. They they want to work. Uh, sure. And the nice thing about being from Puerto Rico is they they don't have a citizenship issue. There you are, yeah. yeah. Which has been a, a, a bigger deal since this current administration's been in office. Have you uh, heard of any problems with immigration officials? Not, no, not recently. Or in fact, not in our uh, area. You get out out in the suburbs where they're doing a lot of agriculture stuff. Yes. Okay. They're, they're rounding them up there. Mm. 
It's good to hear that we haven't had the problems that others have had. You talked earlier, Al, about the um, after effects of hurricanes, and I think it was her, it was Maria that hit Puerto Rico a few yeah. years ago, yeah. and I think there was a influx of families that came to Cleveland and kind of simultaneously, maybe with the uh, startup of the Latino construction program and support that came from a couple of local organizations. Can you describe that activity or that effort? Yeah, you know, like you would describe, sometimes the stars line up. Uh, If that wasn't the only element, the other element is that the construction industry is killing to get more workers on these sites. So all this starts to line up, which is very fortuitous to get them involved because there's a basic big need, uh, period. Mm-hmm. And and so some of the supporters of the Spanish American Committee and Latino Construction Community have been who? Uh, gun foundations, the big foundations, the big banks, they've all stepped up. They've all done a very nice job about being supportive. Uh, the Latino community is going through what the African American community went through 10 years ago. Uh, in fact, we've stolen a lot of our procedures from what we saw happen in uh, in that segment of the population. Uh, it's been very helpful. There's also, I believe, an effort in Greater Cleveland, uh, the Hispanic Alliance. Um, can you describe, uh, to your in your own words, what that organization does or is? Uh, not, I, I can't really. I, I don't know that much about them. I haven't had much uh, impact with them. Um, I'd I prefer not to get into that. Um, okay. But I, I'm, I know that they're trying to do some of the things that we're trying to do, and we're good. We're good with that. We're half of that. We're, we're tr- in fact, um, this, this teaching segment. We're going to have them come over and be some speakers and help us deliver the message. Okay. So convention is that the right term? Yes. Which is a maybe an annual activity that happens on the west side as well and kind of, again, in my words, but I'm looking, I guess, to for our audience and others and maybe for me to have better understanding. It's kind of a, a, a gathering of a lot of uh, organizations and agencies and advancement support for the Latino community. Yeah, they display everything that's available and trying to get everybody involved to know if this is your problem, here's where you go. If this is your other problem, this is the other place to go. Um, yes. And that's typically fall activity, I believe? Yeah, it was just a month ago. Okay, so like October, I yeah. believe, right? Okay. Yes. Um, which which reminds me of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, which happens at least celebrated in our country maybe uh, mid-September to mid-October uh, every year. And there's, you know, an important part of, I think, our society and our culture in terms of recognition and celebration of, of other cultures and um you talked about the African-American community and, you know, there's a Black History Month in February and Latino uh, Heritage Month that, again, spans two months um, of, of, of time. Are there other, um, for listeners, audience, and community, what ways can we support and celebrate the Latino community and efforts? Well, when they have their uh, their festivals, certainly they could join in on that. Uh, and certainly there's always the need for contributions to make these programs really work. Uh, one of the lucky things for, for us with the Latino uh, 
construction program is we have Metro that wants to see this happen and is funding it. That's that's critical. Mm-hmm. I have a, um, a question for you from all your years of being in the industry, and that is with respect to large projects where they have percentage goals for minority business enterprise contract awards. Those have been around in Cleveland for how many decades do you think? Oh my, um, at least from my 60 years is what I got, what I've seen. Okay. And, and and we still get critique from the level of success from the, the number of successful minority business enterprises in construction in Cleveland. Why do you think with the prevalence of, of projects with those targets on them and the lack of results, so to speak, what do you attribute that to? Um, just people don't understand, you know, the Latinos that we're dealing with, um, they don't understand how to get involved, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're teaching them uh, how to do that. Um I really don't know uh, to answer your question specifically. Can you ask it again a different way? I'm not sure I got it. Well, what I'm wondering, and it seems to me that there must be something missing, because if if we have these well-intended goals for for contract awards to to encourage opportunities to minority-owned businesses, and I don't remember too many headlines of those goals not being met. Most of them are are pronounced as met, those goals were met. Yet uh, we, we, we do get critiqued, and maybe rightfully so, as an industry for not having enough successful contractors who are minority-owned. What, what's the missing piece? Well, first of all, most of them don't have the wherewithal to put it together mm-hmm. economically, let alone the knowledge base that's necessary to run a business. <clears throat> we're thinking very quickly to start a subcontracting Latino program to teach them how to get along. And one of the big factors is that uh, they haven't gone into the businesses. And if they do, they're in the housing business uh, mm-hmm. and they're very content. Mm-hmm. They, they like it there. They're getting paid well and uh, that suits them. Mm-hmm. We're trying to move them along into the point where they become valid subcontractors and really make a good living and sort of get them in a position where they are in a position to hire more Hispanics that do it. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a chore because they, they have not had the ability to to experience what it takes to manage a project, to manage as a subcontractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, goodness, they don't know that the pay applications, the, the difficulty that goes with all that, getting that done, and, and we're going to be teaching them that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going mm-hmm. to have a course that's going to help them get through that. What we've created, because there is this... Uh, lacking of bona fide subcontractors, our fallback position is that we have to create them. And we've gone back to what we call a legitimate mentor-protege program, Mm -hmm. that not only are we putting them together with knowledgeable major subcontractors, we're intervening and saying quarterly, uh, let's meet and talk about what have you learned? Have you learned anything? Mm -hmm. Because the mentor-protege program has been around for decades. It just hasn't been implementing is the way it should be done. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this trip, uh, we're able to make it work so that we can visibly show that there's been a transfer of knowledge from one group to the other group. Mm-hmm. But there is a sh- there is just simply a shortage, uh, period. And, I, and it's exactly what the African-American community went through. 
-hmm. They did the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a lot of contractors say kids cash flow is number one, two, and three on their list of uh, priorities. When it comes to what would it what would help me as a small contractor succeed? Uh, we have several major projects going on in Cleveland right now, most of which have minority business enterprise uh, targets on them, and a small community of available MBE firms. So I've I got to imagine there's pressure to uh, to give those companies work. Yes, there is. So a lot of volume potentially, and, and a risk. Yes, there I, is a risk of getting behind on your bills. I would think. Yes, we caution them about that all the time, and what we're trying to do in every case, see if there's a way they can be paid weekly or biweekly, uh, and that's getting some traction. Yeah, that, that's good. I, yes, it is. I think that's the key to it. When you're when you're uh, kind of thinking of the the list of items that would help a small contractor succeed. If an owner is putting together a, a project like Metro's multi-year project and he wants to develop the capacity of, of minority contractors, small contractors, we've heard people talk about waiving bonds. We've heard not too many people talk about cash flow in terms of actually changing the rules of the game in terms of cash flow, but we know that's an issue. What are the most important things to do for small contractors when you're putting together a program like that? Well, you just touched on it. The cash flow is is paramount, and that's on the table right now. And all the jobs that I see, uh, there's a uh, there's a group of us that are saying, "Look, we need somebody to monitor this thing, and we'll give you every safeguard that you need, but we can't we can't wait." Uh, three, four months to get paid. On some of these major jobs, that is an impediment. Mm -hmm. you know, even the big guys are suffering today because cash flow isn't what it used to be. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely hear that all the time. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So, Al, in your years in construction, I mean, has that pay cycle changed? Has it gotten longer or is it the same? Uh, it depends on what level you're talking about. Okay, M my experience says that when we talk to the subcontractors, the guys that are really own the business, mm -hmm. they get it. They want to help. But what happens is they take on the guys that we're sending them, they send them out into the field, and the field guys, we still need to have to do a lot of work in that area. There's still a lot of rednecks that... Uh, think some of their humor is very, very funny, but it is, they're really cruel jokes. Uh, mm. But certainly that level of management, that, that has really improved immensely. They okay. want to see it work, uh, but it's, it, it's on a lower level where it seems to come apart from time to time because we've had to intervene several times just in the 60-odd guys that we've been able to place. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's not mean-spirited by any means. And, uh, you know, you, you hear stories about how all of us have biases one way or the other. Uh, don't forget, we've, we're fighting a tradition of what it was like. Right. Mm -hmm. right. It, it, it's exactly what the African-American community has gotten over. Sure. We've got to get over it. We, we counsel our guys. Look, you've got to suck it up. Uh, it, it's not how badly they treat you. The important issue is how you respond to that. You're, it's, it's within your control. And if you, uh, you go bonkers on it, uh, you're going to lose your focus and you're going to not be able to get where you want for your family. Mm -hmm. we, we talk a lot about how all this relates to the benefit of the family. Right. It's a big deal in the Hispanic community. 
um, Kenny Torres was on our uh, first or second podcast. I think the second podcast with um, with Gus Hoyas, and we talked about the Latino construction program. Um, Kenny seemed to be a great asset to that program. Do you agree? And what do you think he added to the program? Well, first of all, I got to tell you, he broke my heart. Okay, he he's everything <laughs> that you said he was. Plus, um, you may think this is outlandish, but I had it someday way out in the future, it was not out of reason that he would be the mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. That's, mm. that's where my head was with him. So when he left, I, it, was, it really bothered me. Uh, and some of my colleagues saw his leaving as an enhancement, and it certainly was for him because he was not being paid very well, and he's now leaving the good life. <laughs> but I had another role chartered for him, and we're just going to have to find somebody else, or maybe he returns. I don't know. But uh, he, he was a gem. I think and, he has a bright future. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's a quick learner, and uh, he's a good people person. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit around and chat with him, and you know, he, he's got you nailed. He understands where you're coming from, uh, who you are, and why you're doing this. Right. No, we're going to miss him. Yeah. But we got, a, we got a new lady, uh, named is Shirley Mott, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we 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 really taught Kenny uh, to bring her along. Uh, we got to do it with Shirley. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's accepted the gauntlet. She's moving along fine. Yeah, she had her first graduation this, like uh, say, the last Friday, uh, and it was great. And the the pupils, the guys in the class, they love her. That's great. And Kent Kreitzer, our safety director, was was teaching safety. I think the day before graduation, he was very impressed with the class. He he was. I I told you I sent you, I sent you a letter. He, he was magnificent. He does not know, but everything he covered beyond safety and what you, about how to purport yourself when you're on the site was right on dead spot with what we were trying to teach these guys. That's great. And coming from somebody else made a big impact on our our. Our students. That's great. And Kenny is at Gilbane now. Yes. And I think he's still around. Cleveland. He's still. Oh no, he'll he'll yeah. be involved. I can say. Uh, uh, I'd like to hook him back someday. Uh, when 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 uh, Span Am is in a position to pay him what he's really worth. Right. So, what would you describe with the success of the Latino construction program to date? I mean, what's the secret sauce? I mean, there's clearly there's a combination of opportunity and need on one side and a passionate cohort of individuals like yourself and uh, that are kind of helping shape the curriculum and investing time, energy, and effort. And you have support from foundations and Metro. What else contributes to the success of, you know, placing the 60 individuals? Uh, Well, first of all, none of this works unless the owner is totally behind it. And not just in a passive manner, but he wants this to happen and is very, very clear this is what he needs. If you're going to work on my project, this is what you have to do. We have that today, which we never had before. And more and more I see owners come stepping up and say, this is not lip service. If you're going to work on our project, you better ante up what we want you to do in terms of minority participation. Mm -hmm. And they're making it stick. This is a new thing. That the idea that there's great shortages and the unions understand they they need membership. They mm-hmm. they have a falling out of you know good candidates uh, 
and we think we can we can bring that. As I said, I, th- I think the stars are starting to line up. Mm-hmm. I think, Tim, earlier you were kind of asking or talking about with 40 years or 50 years of programs and policies for inclusion or, you know, from set-asides to goals to, mm-hmm. you know, diversity and inclusion today and community benefits, you know, do we think 40 years later we're, we're – we're better, we're on the right path, we have the right programs in place, or what's missing? How else can we advance, I think, everyone's interest and efforts? And I think most of us would agree that it starts with the owner and the owner's commitment, uh, but it has to be then balanced and supported by individuals and contractors and subcontractors. Well, in our construction business, one of our problems is the whole civilization wants everybody to go to college. Well, that's not right. There's a lot of folks that don't want to go to college, okay? Um, and we got to find a way to sort out those people that have a desire to work with their hands and their heads versus those people that are going to be academics and mm-hmm. do whatever it is. Uh, and there's a lot of professions out there, so there's a lot of, lot of space. But we got to start putting out there that, uh, that this is what we'd like to see and start early on to show young people what construction is, what it's all about. Uh, on all our jobs now, we have classes where we bring like uh, urban. Mm-hmm. They come out and look at the site. Yes. We just finished St. Uh, Adelbert. They come out and look at the site. Uh, mm-hmm. We want them to know that there's a other thing beyond being whatever it is. You're going to get your degree in history or economics or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you got, we got to put it out there. They have no knowledge sure. of what's available. I remember the days when I was just getting out of high school. I was in a quandary. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And it was just happen chance that the GM Institute had a guy come and talk to the big assembly hall. I said, that's what I want to do. But I didn't know beforehand. Right. Of course, I was never a great student to begin with. (laughs) You know, I had an opportunity a few years ago to spend, uh, uh, I want to say, several weeks some weekly sessions with a group of students at urban uh, kind of walking them through architecture, construction, engineering from a project based learning uh, standpoint. And I think we were using uh, connects or Legos to help them understand the principles of design and construction and engineering. And um, it, it's very rewarding, but eye opening to see the, the eagerness, you know, of, of, of young people when they, begin to understand principles and things they can see and relate to every day um, and apply math and engineering some of the important principles uh, to something that's pretty complex, but yet can be made very simple. Right. And I know you've seen out over your time and tenure and working both uh, at urban and probably with the Latino construction program. I mean, the, the eagerness of people, young of people wanting to learn, um, and I think it's you're you're a spark for it. You've historically um, uh, been involved a lot in community efforts and programs and helping individuals, but also helping businesses. And you know, talk about mentor protege today. But I mean, you've been developing programs for half your life or all your life, primarily. And you know, are there are there um, you know, sort of in Cleveland, Chicago, are there highlights that you that come to mind this afternoon that you might share about 
success stories and examples of organizations and individuals and businesses that you've worked with? Well, first of all, don't stop what you're doing. Stay with getting in front of those kids and what some of these options are. That that is critical. And uh, we at the uh, Latinos community have got to find ways to put in front of these children that there are other options. Then we're just not doing a good job about that. That's got to be awful. Um, But you hear in the construction business words that you never heard before. Uh, I... I, I almost changed my major when I was at uh, Illinois because I ran into a guy in anthropology, cultural anthropology, and uh, he happened to write a series of books about the Sanchez family, the mm. children of Sanchez. I don't know if you're familiar. His name was Lewis, Oscar Lewis. Mm-hmm. He was a... I didn't realize it till I, I bought a book. Or his, it turns out his name was on a book after I got through with the classes. Uh, it, we're hearing more and more of that. And just the other day, a, a gentleman, that, a Chicagoan, uh, when we were talking to a, a friend about a mutual construction friend, and we were in his office, and he is doing a lot of work in California, Florida, and Texas, where they're all Hispanics. Mm-hmm. And he actually conducts classes for Anglos to understand the Hispanic culture because their workforce is totally Hispanic, mm-hmm, right. and they're not communicating. And he wrote a little pamphlet book that was just right on point about, about how you have to talk to the Hispanic community to get their attention. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in their culture that are anti-progressing, mm-hmm. period. Uh, and mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting twist. Here we're trying to teach workmen. Here they're trying to teach the managers of the workmen right. to get them to do the work. Uh, I thought that was a bit different, but you hear this word culture more and more before than never I ever heard before. Do you think those language barriers are, are as pronounced in Cleveland as they are in Texas, maybe? Uh, more so in Texas. But in terms of the um, the clients that the Latino Construction Program is serving, is there a large language barrier among those clients? Um, it's kind of odd you ask that question. Uh, in our first class, Absolutely. They, we had a lot of bilingual education that we had to bring into the program. As, as these guys get their um, chance to work, the world travels in the community, and mm-hmm. they're the guys that get us the next class. Mm-hmm. And these next class, each one has gotten better about language. Hmm. It's it, I, I can't explain that phenomena, <laughs> but that's what's happening. They are better at it. And they're totally bilingual. Well, that's great, and I thought I heard you say that there's even cultural communication issues, that even if I can understand you, I understand the words coming out of your mouth, the cultural implication of those words is totally different in a way that affects my motivations. What does that mean? Uh, it, well, it's true. Uh, very important. Uh, uh, in the Hispanic community, the, 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 uh, the book that I was alluding to, he does a chapter about one of the anthropologists have done studies and then you're creating the quotients of how, how does a guy on a lower level talk to a guy on a higher level? Hmm. In a Hispanic community, that's almost unheard of. You don't do that. In an American community, you know, they're joking with the boss and calling them horses behind and whatever. <laughs> they, they don't do that, okay? Yeah. And the other issue, and you find, I think, this in the Oriental culture, when you're talking to them and giving direction, you say, do you understand? And they're nodding, but they don't get it. Mm. But that's just a natural reaction. You have to understand that you've got to find other ways to understand that, that he really get it. Because, mm. you know, construction places are pretty dangerous. You, 
you, when, you, when you communicate, you got to be certain you're communicating. Oh, yeah. Consequences of miscommunication are high. Yeah. But I thought it was curious. Uh, here, here they're turned the pie upside down, teaching managers, and they want to learn. They want to be able to uh, manage their workforce much better. Oh, I'm sure. Well, the pyramid is is a pyramid, right side up pyramid there, where the the guy at the top is just one or a few guys. It's a lot easier to teach the few than to teach the many at the base of the pyramid. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Sanchez family. And um, your family, you have sons who are doing what? Talk about your family some. Well, we've got three boys. Uh, one is here local. He's a partner at Franz Ward. Uh, he's doing quite well. He, and Franz Ward is a law firm? It's a law firm that does um, mostly construction litigation uh, and contracts and uh, insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be their thing. And they just merged with another big firm, so... Uh, he's doing really quite well. I've got another son that uh, was in politics and worked for uh, uh, chief of staff or uh, the mayor of uh, uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. And um, he worked as the hmm. uh, handler of the label component, secretary of labor for a governor of that state. Uh, and since then, uh, he's developing a law office that's measuring in bankruptcy. He's doing well. And the youngest, he's the middle guy, the youngest uh, is in Wilmington, Delaware. He's the only guy that went into construction, and he's a project manager on some major jobs, uh, doing very quite, very well. And he just loves what he's doing. Right. So they're good. Yeah. Our, our big thing is our grandchildren at this moment, uh, trying to see that they get a good education. You were telling me that your granddaughter recently enrolled in Baldwin, Baldwin Wallace? Yes, and her, I tell you, her mother was a graduate from Baldwin, and she is a teacher. Uh, so I'm sure that she's going to do well. We we got another one that just uh, enrolled at um, what's the big basketball school? Um, Duke. No, no high no. school. It or doesn't get any bigger than Duke. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's where I graduated <laughs> law school from. Who won last year? It's a V a V name. Villanova. Villanova. Yeah, okay. Villanova. Okay. She's, she's going to go in. She's a. That's like one of those second tier schools in <laughs> basketball. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, she's uh, in nursing. She just finishing her first year. So right. we've got we've got six more kids coming up that uh, we're helping. That's great. No one's going to Illinois. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. You know, you talk about Illinois. The main reason I went, you know, I went to a junior college for okay. three years. Um, you're supposed to do two years, but I was working. I, I, mm -hmm. I literally had to finance my own education, uh, and. Uh, Going to Illinois, the state-supported school was a gigantic factor. Not to mention that in those days, books and tuitions were a sure. great deal less than today. I, mm. I could work as a laborer for Turner in the summer to pay for my full year. Sometimes it was close how I bought my ticket back home, but we could do it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't do that today. Right. It's just um, totally impossible. Mm -hmm. She's going to Villanova, and it's cost 52000 a year to Villanova. Oh, that's nuts. Baldwin Wallace is a good deal less. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yes, yes. <laughs> but that that's our family thing. Okay. Uh, any uh, any good Thanksgiving plans or traditions that oh, you guys just, are looking forward we're to? We're just going to have a quiet. Uh, I have a, a niece who is, uh, is subject to seizures, and she's mm. sort of paralyzed. I was, I'm, we're hoping to have her as our guest uh, 
just maybe the three of us. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, her parents just died mm. in the last two mm. years. Uh, my son is helping her with all the legal problems to go mm. and transferring to, to her. Mm. Anything you want to leave with the audience before we close? No, I just want to thank you guys. Yeah, I don't know if, you, I think you sometimes, too, you get lost in what you're doing, but you guys have become the YouTube of Cleveland, Ohio. This is where people come for to find out what's going on with construction. Union, non-union, whatever it is, you're, that's, a, that's a remarkable feat for over the years from what I've seen, how you guys have grown. I appreciate that. And, you know, and I, I don't use YouTube lightly. That's, that's a big deal. Mm. That's where everybody wants to go if you want to find out something. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. it. And Al, we appreciate all of your uh, contributions and support and insights and uh, encouragement. You know, certainly over the last 10, 11 years that Tim and I have been here and, you know, we, I think, take serious our opportunity to make a difference and, you know, be positive and be inclusive. Uh, those are all attributes which I think we commonly share and have support from uh, in our board uh, to, to try to make advancements and improvements and to, to equally, I think, find solutions so that our industry is better. Well, know that you do. Uh, people on the outside have that, that sense of it. Uh, you do. Uh, and thank you for that. Well, congratulations again on your Hall of Fame induction. Well-deserved. If anybody is interested in learning more about what we've discussed, I will link in the episode notes the Hall of Fame bio for, for Al, as well as all of the uh, the programs we've discussed, the Latino Construction Program, the Urban Community School, and the Metro Health Expansion and Transformation Project will all be linked there for those who wish to research more. Well, again, thanks for having me. Thank you. It was a joy. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.